On this Veterans Day weekend, I want to tell you about a Navy man named Bill. He was an incredibly intelligent man with several degrees in higher education in a couple of different fields. His gifts allowed him to work on aeronautics projects like the B-58s, F-111, and the A-10. An avid cyclist, he pursued a position on the Tokyo Olympic cycling team in 1964. He was a Christian man that eventually pursued formal theological training and served as a professor at Capitol Bible Seminary in the Washington, D.C. area. He was a member of Harvest Bible Church and a dear personal friend. In his 70s, he had a stroke that changed the remainder of his earthly life. Having lived such an active and engaged life, the stroke left him with serious adjustments to just everyday life, things like speaking and walking. But when he talked with Dr. Bill Curtis, he would often remind you that God was doing all things well. He would remind you that God does not make mistakes. He would remind you that God has good purposes and that God was still on his throne. You see, even in the face of serious hardships in this life, Bill Curtis's hope was not in his right to live normally. Rather, his hope was in the rule of God over all aspects of his life, even the many varieties of trials. Today, we continue our series on Christian laments. If you haven't done so, would you please find the book of Lamentations in your copy of God's Word? If you're not familiar with Lamentations, it's in the first half of the Christian Bible. It's called the, the Old Testament. It's page 574 of the Pew copy. If you see Isaiah and Jeremiah, you're getting close. If you get to Ezekiel, you need to go back a few pages. One of the main themes of this series is that there is hurt. There is darkness. There is hardship that comes as a result of living on a planet that is cursed by sin and all of its consequences. Friend, don't ever let anyone convince you that darkness or discouragement or a hard life is abnormal for the Christian. And as you seek to help others within the body, as you seek to encourage others through their times of hardship, please steer clear of counsel which dismisses away their hardship or addresses their hardship or their darkness as somehow being unusual or abnormal to the Christian walk. Trials in this life and the accompanying darkness come in many forms and shapes and sizes. And on our good days, we make attempts at reconciling the goodness of God with the hardships of this life. That's what lament is all about. Living between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. The reality of darkness in the life of a Christian calls for the practice of lament in the life of a Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. Through this series, we've learned that lament includes 
going to God, complaining to God. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Going to God, complaining to God, asking of God, primarily for mercy, and trusting in God. Last week we began our, our study in, in Lamentations uh, specifically, and we noted that the, the Babylonian army had attacked Jerusalem, so the Jews, the context of Lamentations is the Jews were lamenting the capture and the destruction of Jerusalem. The book of Lamentations, these five chapters are, are, are somewhat brief. It's five dirges, funeral marches, if you will. It's, it's poetry. Lamentations is a book that poignantly reminds us that darkness and brokenness is a reality of the Christian life. Would you please follow along as I read God's Word, Lamentations chapter 2. How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger, and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel, and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger? The Lord hath swallowed up all the inhabitants of Jacob, and hath not pitied. He hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he, bur and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire which devoureth roundabouts. He hath bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that were pleasant to the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. He poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was as an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He hath violently taken away his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion and hath despised in the indignation of his anger the king and the priest. The Lord cast off his altar. He hath abhorred his sanctuary. He hath given up unto the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of a solemn feast. The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Mine eyes do fail with, my eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is corn and wine? 
when they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul was poured out into their mother's bosom. What thing shall I take to the witness for thee? What thing shall I liken to thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to thee, that I may comfort thee, O virgin daughter of Zion? For thy breach is great like the sea. Who can heal thee? Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen thee for but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishments. All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss and gnash the teeth. They say, We have swallowed her up, Certainly this is the day that we looked for. We have found, we have seen it. The Lord hath done that which he had devised. He hath fulfilled his word that he had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. And he hath caused an enemy to rejoice over thee. He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. Their heart cried unto the Lord. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like the river day and night. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of the young children that faints for hunger in the top of every street. Behold, O Lord, and consider to whom thou hast done this. Shall the women eat their fruits and consider of a, and children of a span long? Shall the priest and the prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and my young men are fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast killed and not pitied. Thou hast called, as in a solemn day my terrors round about, so that in the day of the Lord's anger none escapes nor remain. Those that I have swaddled and brought up hath mine enemy consumed. This chapter is difficult in many ways to read and for us to take in. This chapter is about God's rule over the hard times in the life of the people of Judah. And it's about God's rule over the hard times in our lives. Consider for a minute this morning your own current hardship. Disease, death of a loved one, your own sinful behavior that has overwhelmed you, a child who has turned their back on God, loneliness, depression, whatever your hardship is, acknowledging God's rule, God's reign over all, will help you lament. We recognize God's rule in all four phases of lament. We go to God precisely because He does rule. We complain to God 
because He rules. We ask of God because He rules. We trust in God because God rules. Lament is a tool that God gives His children to remind us that all the hardships in this life are traced back to sin's curse and that all of the hardships that we can experience in this life are under God's sovereign rule. He is the only one that can make things right again. Your hope doesn't come from your rights in this life. Your hope comes from God's rule in your life. Let's learn from Lamentations about God's rule, about His reign in our life. First of all, as is obvious from our reading of chapter 1, God rules with severity. God rules with severity. Verse number 1 says, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in His anger, and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel, Remember not his footstool in the day of his anger. One commentator put it this way in reference to to verse number one. Divine wrath is poised over the kingdom of Judah like a thundercloud, ready to be unleashed in all its awesome power. It seems that we are reading from the poets, probably Jeremiah, who was an an eyewitness account to to the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapter 2 describes the ghastly details of the city's demise. The ramparts, the walls, the the gates, the bars are all destroyed. The very walls that at one time gave Jerusalem a great sense of security had now been torn down. The citizens of Jerusalem thought that the walls were impregnable. Jerusalemites now experienced the same thing that the Jerichoites had faced many years, many generations before. And these walls would not be repaired until Nehemiah comes onto the scene about 150 years later. The leaders of the city are absent. The government has shut down. People are starving. In fact, children, as we read, are dying in their mother's arms because they lack food. Children are gasping for their, their last breaths of life, literally starving to death. Hunger had reached the point where the people turned to cannibalism. Verse number 20 uh, says, Shall the women eat their fruit? It's talking about their offspring and children of a span long. It's not talking about how big the, the children are. It's not a measurement. It's talking about the children of whom they have given tender care. Both young and old people were, were laying in the streets. People were killed, even priests in the temple. Verses 11 and 12 talk about my bowels burning. Verse 15, the enemy was laughing at them, scoffing them, clapping their hands, mocking them. The scene was atrocious. It wasn't only that the enemy had come into the city. There was breakdown of all kinds. Physical and and mental and emotional and social and certainly spiritual breakdown. Aside from from the cruelty of the cross, the accounts that we read in the Gospels, Maybe this is one of the darkest passages in all of Scripture. God's judgment was severe. The gross sin of the people led to God's severe judgments on the people. Friend, sin has dire consequences. Sin brings dire consequences. Let us be reminded today that 
innocent children are often the victims who suffer the most from the sins of adults. Can there be a a greater, more glaring example than the practice of abortion in our nation and abroad? The consequences of sin lead to the severe judgment of God. He will not overlook sin. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Friend, if you are not motivated towards righteous behavior, if you are not motivated to run away from sin by the truth that God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son for you, if that's not enough of a motivation for you to run away from sin, then think of the fury of God against your sin. God hates sin. Fear God's wrath and run from sin. Lament is a tool that God gives to his children to remind us that all the hardships in this life are traced back to sin and its consequences and that all of the hardships in this life are under the sovereign rule of God. God is the only one that can make all things right. Your hope doesn't come from your rights in this life. Your hope comes from the rule of God in this life. God rules with severity. Secondly, God rules with justice. And this is good news for us, that God rules with justice. I was thinking about this this week and and how sometimes we have this sense of entitlement that comes with life and with our Christian walk. I, I, when I was growing up, I went to a small Christian school for elementary and high school. I remember sometimes having that sense of entitlement. Now, I'm sure that I had that sense of entitlement more often than I remember having it because that's how we are, we are, we are wired. But it mostly stemmed from the fact that my mom worked at the school where I attended. So she taught in elementary school and um, and I was beyond. I was, I was older than that, um, and going through going through school, and I thought that that because my mom worked there, that, that gave me some, maybe gave me a little bit of clout, <laughs> maybe gave me a little a, a pass sometimes on some things because you know my mom works here, and I thought maybe that was going to be in my favor. I can remember there was that time we went into Mr. Trumbull's uh, classroom during our lunch period, and we we saw the ceiling fan was turned off, and we put a bunch of pennies on top of all the planks of the ceiling fan. And then next period, we had history class, and we were really hot. And went, Mr. Chumble, can we turn on the fan? And ping, ping, ping. Yeah. And well, I learned from experience that I didn't get a pass, even though mom worked where I went to school. Sometimes we have this sense of entitlements, don't we? Look at verse 3. God hath cut off his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He burned against Jacob like a flaming fire. Verse number six. He hath violently taken away his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. Verse number eight. The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. Friend, let's, re, let's be reminded this morning that it was the people of Judah 
that were being destroyed. It was the people of Judah who were facing the fierce, severe hardship of God. It's not like what we read about in other Old Testament books, the other historical books in the Old Testament, where, where God's wrath and his fury was poured out upon the enemies of God's chosen people. This was God, God's doing among his own people. God's people didn't get a pass. God's special people were entitled to get a pass. Maybe they thought that because of their covenant relationship with God, they were untouchable from God's disciplining hand. Maybe they had a sense of entitlement because they were God's special people. Maybe they thought or even lived as though they had a right to an easy or a better life because they were God's chosen people. But God still doled out severe consequences for their failure to worship him and him alone. God doled out severe judgment because of their failure to have exclusive worship to God. God was going to rule with justice. God's blessing was conditional upon their obedience to him. And God had instructed them that way all along. And God had given them plenty of warnings along the way that they should worship him and him alone. And even the most heavily fortified strongholds of Judah will be unable to escape the wrath of God we see. The poet here seems to present a reversal of God's role. The poet identifies God as Judah's enemy. Did you catch that as we read it through the first time? Verse number five, the Lord was as an enemy. He swallowed up Israel. God had been a warrior. God had been a defender. God had been going for his people to bring them salvation and to give them the promised rest that he, had, that he had promised to them. But now he has become Judah's enemy, the destroyer of the kingdom. The divine warrior is fighting against his special people. The same power that their ancestors had seen split the Red Sea open and the Jordan River open and bring down the walls of Jericho was now being used against them in the city of Jerusalem. Even Solomon's temple, a point of great national pride, would be destroyed. Their deliverer had turned into their destroyer. What would it be like for God to be turned against you? What would it be like for your deliverer to become your destroyer? To face the destroyer? Some people will find out. The Bible tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But the Bible also tells us that whoever's name is not found in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Hell is a place. Hell is a real place where God unleashes his fury for your sin. If you have questions about that, don't leave today without asking those questions. I invite you to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. One commentator in regards to this city's destruction said it this way, just as a builder measured levels carefully in process of construction, so God had been equally precise in the work of demolition to ensure that one stone did not stand upon another. Do you remember reading through the Old Testament historical books and how meticulous God was about the temple being built. And God was just as meticulous about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. 
The people could not claim tradition. They could not claim that they had a right to escape God's, ra- God's wrath. They could not, in fact, claim that they, had, that they were entitled to escape it. God hates sin. And even though this was the nation of God's special people, he could not allow the rebellion to continue. God would rule with justice. The destruction of Jerusalem simply left the people grief-stricken. Friends, nothing is off limits to the judge of the whole earth. Nothing is outside the sovereign rule, the just rule of Almighty God. We might be tempted to think that a nation like the United States of America is entitled a pass for our transgressions. Or we may think that a specific denomination will never fall, or that a certain Christian family should be untouchable because of their past history. We may even be deceived into thinking that pastors or Harvest Bible Church will be given a pass. Friends, none of them are indispensable to God. God's kingdom cannot fail. Harvest Bible Church can fail. A pastor can fail. You can fail. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not presume on the kindness of God. Repent of sin today. Run from sin today. Stop living as if God is unaware of your sin and recognize that you are not entitled to a pass for your sin. Lament is a tool that God gives to his children to remind us that all the hardships of this life are traced back to sin and sin, the consequences of sin, and that all the hardships of this life are under God's sovereign rule. Lamentations 2 teaches us that God rules with severity. It teaches us that God rules with justice. And thirdly, it teaches us that God rules with purpose. There is a significant transition from going into verse 18. The poet is calling for the city to call out to God. Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion. Let the tears run down like the river day and night. Give thyself, verse 18, no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the, of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of the young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. The city of Jerusalem is weeping. It reminds us of Jesus in Luke chapter 19 when he cried, when he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Verse 19, the poet is calling the city of Jerusalem to give itself wholly to calling on God. Do you remember the third step, the the third phase of lament is to ask of God. One of the things that we can ask of God is here in Lamentations 2, namely for God to fix what is wrong with our world. We see the same thing in many of the Psalms of laments. If God is moved to intervene, then, then change will come. It's almost like if we could say it this way, Lord, please do something. We noted the first part of the chapter that the poet attributes the destructive work to God. Verse number two, it's almost as if God rubs their nose in it. Yes, the Babylonians were the, the human instrument that meted out the destruction, but they were simply carrying out the plan of God. God rules with purpose. God ruled over this time of darkness. Historically, the Babylon was the enemy, but theologically, God was bringing the destruction. We sang of it earlier this morning. That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. 
Friend, what is your, what is your default response to hardships in this life? I think often we play the blame game when hardships come. Israel could have blamed an unfaithful army that ran and left the city wall exposed. Israel could have blamed the people responsible for building the wall. The people of Israel could have blamed the government for not keeping them safe from the, from the Babylonians' attack. One pastor said it this way, it's easy for us to pass over God's role by, quip, by quickly blaming others for what goes wrong. As Christians, we must beware of behaving like practical atheists, like God has no role in the hardships of our life. Do you blame instead of accept? God, it's, it's just in my genes. I'm just, I'm just wired this way, God. That's how I'm made up. I'm just such an emotional person. I'm passionate. That's why I have to, have to do this, God. If you gave me a better spouse, then I wouldn't be involved at all. If you gave me a spouse at all, or whatever the case may be, the government is against me. And we, we get, give out all these excuses. Israel could have been, uh, uh, Israel could have tried to blame their sin on a bunch of people, but that would not be consistent with the conclusion that the poet draws in verse 17. Follow along. Verse 17. The Lord hath done that which he has devised. God has fulfilled his word that he had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. He hath caused an enemy to rejoice over thee. He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. Long ago, God had planned this to happen to Jerusalem. There is strong language here, almost accusatory language of God becoming the enemy. But there is not even a hint that God has brought these circumstances or allowed the destruction of the city apart from God's will. In fact, it's the very opposite. The entire event was fulfilling the eternal plan of God. The truth that this destruction is from the hand of the Lord it's both, it serves as both a warning and a comfort. We've already considered how this is a warning uh, from God, that, he is, that his hand is ruling in this. But let's consider the comfort that God rules with a purpose. God has a plan. We read it earlier in Romans chapter 8. God is conforming us to the image of Jesus. There will be lots of chiseling and lots of disciplining for us in the process. Friend, pray that you will respond with submission to the plan of God. Ask God to help you accept his design for your life, even during times of darkness. We sing that song from time to time, day by day. I think it's the third stanza. Says, help me then in every tribulation so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. Do you see the purpose of the Lord and his rule? God even uses instruments of evil to bring about his good plans. As we close this morning, would you please turn over to the book of Acts in the New Testament and find Acts chapter number 4. As we think about the city of Jerusalem falling and God's purpose in all of this and God being responsible, ordaining that it happened, 
we are reminded that God even uses instruments of evil to bring about his good plans. Jesus knew that going to the cross would be horrific. He testified to it being his Father's will. You're in Acts chapter 4. Look at verse number 27. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God's purposes were not thwarted by the evil of Pilate and Herod. God's plans were accomplished through their evil actions. Friends, this is your hope in lament. God has purposes for your darkness. Whatever the struggle is, He has purposed it. Lament is a tool that God gives to His children to remind them that all of the hardships in this life are traced back to sin and to remind them that all of the hardships of this life are under God's sovereign rule. God is the only one that can make things right again. Your hope doesn't come from your rights in this life. Your hope comes from God's rule in this life. For several years after his stroke, Bill Curtis lived with daily reminders of sin's curse in this world. For him, there are many physical limitations. As an 80-year-old man, he was watching Monday night football one Monday night, and he cried out in pain. He would soon learn that his aorta had torn. I received a call. I rushed to the hospital just in time to pray with Bill and Bev before surgery. And after prayer, right before they put the mask over his face, he grabbed his wife's hand, and he said something in Hebrew. He taught Greek. He taught Hebrew. He knew it. And here's what it, what it says in English. Next year in Jerusalem. It's a Jewish phrase that was used uh, after observing Passover. It was a phrase that depicted longing. It was a phrase that announced a word of expectation for relief from suffering. It was a term of anticipation. It was a phrase of anticipation used by those who were currently living in exile and looking forward to returning to Jerusalem and a rebuilt temple. As a Christ follower, Bill used this phrase to remind his wife that though now in exile, one day God would make all things right. Bill was practicing the final step of lament by trusting in God. It was eight years ago today that Bill Curtis went into the presence of the Lord. And all of his heartache from this life, physical, physical limitations, or disappointments, or discouragement, or darkness of any sort would be forever from that day forward in his rearview mirror. It would be in the past for all of eternity. God made all things right for our brother. Bill acknowledged that God ruled with severity. He understood that God ruled with justice. And he understood that God ruled with purpose. Bill wasn't mad at God for the trial. He was hoping in God for the future. Beloved, whatever your lots, whatever your struggle, however dark the cloud of God's anger seems to be in your life, hear this. God is the only one 
who can make all things right. All the hardships of this life are under his sovereign rule. And that's where your hope lies today. God has a purpose. You're there in Acts. Go back one page to Acts chapter 2. Verse number 23. Speaking of Jesus. Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. God didn't just allow Jesus to be crucified. God ordained that it would happen. Jesus was dealt the severe judgment of his father, but Jesus also was crucified in the plan of God. Friends, if it was good, if it was, a good, if it was, if it was God's good plan, for Jesus to be forsaken, then you can trust that even in the sin of a spouse forsaking you, it's in God's good plan for you. If it was God's good purpose for his son, who knew no sin, to be loaded down with our sin, then you can trust God's plan is good for you, even though it doesn't seem fair to you. If it was God's good purpose for Jesus to be tempted in all points, yet never even once sinning, then you can trust that no temptation has come into your life, but such as is common to man, and that he will provide a way of escape for you. If it was God's plan for Jesus to feel lonely during his incarnation, then you can trust the one who sticks closer to you than a brother. You can trust the one who will make all things right, because he rules. So your hope during times of darkness doesn't come from your rights to have a good life as a follower of Jesus. Your hope comes from his rule in your life. Acknowledge his rule. Submit to his rule. Accept his rule. Be comforted by his rule. Trust his rule.